Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. What a great day it is to be in the presence of the Lord, and I appreciate so much about this house in the short time I've been here. Uh, just remarkable. And, you know, when I feel the audience is right and hungry, I just open up. So I've told you a lot of stuff yesterday. And, uh, and, you know, I had a guy come up to me one day in a conference down in Texas, and he said, Dr. Crumb, you won't remember me, but I was in one of your meetings 25 years ago, and you told a lot of stories out of Africa in your time and tenure in, in West Africa. And he said, you told a few of those stories again tonight, 25 years later. And he says, I know you tell the truth. And I looked at him and I said, well, how could you know? He said, because the details were exactly like they were 25 years ago. And he said, I know because nobody can remember how they tell an embellishment or a lie and say it again the same way 25 years later. So to me, I took that as a compliment. But uh, I, I do like to share testimonies of what God has done because uh, they, they teach. You know, and the other interesting thing the guy said was, I don't remember a thing you preached on that night. But he said, I remember your stories. And I, I guess, well, Jesus figured that out too, right? Because he, he used parables, a lot of stories. But anyway, it's been a joy to be here. I'm so excited about just being able to come along with uh, Bill Byer and Faye. Uh, these are wonderful servants of the Most High God, uh, getting to know them more and more for the past four years. They've served on a special governmental team that I'm the head of, and uh, they, they are some of the most mature people that I know. And what I would say would be they are truly, truly, genuinely a true mother and father in the Lord. So I just encourage you to recognize how special it is for you to be able to have that kind of connection with them as sort of an apostolic uh, voice into this house. So I really confirm them before you today. One quick thing, and uh, I'll hand the mic back to, uh, to Bill. Where are you, Bill? Okay, just stay near, stay close. Not long ago, I just started thinking about the word amen. And you know, it's the last word in the Bible, not the end, but amen. It's the last word in the Bible, and it's the last word in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I thought, you know, there's got to be more to the amen than just encouraging preachers when they're preaching, right? Now, we preachers love to hear amens because it lets us know that people somewhere in the crowd are still awake. So, you know, I like it, the amen. It's encouraging. But God gave the amen to the church not just to encourage preachers. In fact, he gave it to the ecclesia, to his remnant church, his body of believers, as a word of having a final word in every matter. Because it is the final word in the word of God. It is a word that literally means, so be it. It's actually a governmental term. It's like being in a court of law and the judge sounds the gavel at the beginning of a hearing to announce the beginning. The jury is seated, the trial has begun, or the proceedings have begun, but it is the sound heard in a courtroom that is the final sound of conclusion and completeness. Because when the gavel sounded at the end, there's no more time for lawyers to present evidence or their side of the story. The, the judge sounds the gavel as a Amen and last word that seals everything. God gave the amen, not to the angels. He didn't give the amen to the unbelievers. He gave the amen to the church to have the last word in every matter. 
God never intended for sickness and disease to have the last word in your life. And even those that have gone on to be with the Lord and that a disease may have been that part that led to that promotion to heaven, it still never has the last word. Listen, don't let the enemy have the last word in your situation. Whether it be sickness or finance or whatever, relationships, God gave the church the word amen. And in American English, my British friends say, don't say that you guys speak English over there. You speak American. And, uh, but in American English, it's amen. In Spanish, amen. In Russian, amen. It's almost the same word in every language, but it is a word of finality. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, amen was always used at the end of what God said to come into agreement and to seal what God has said. But in the New Testament, it's interesting because amen is used before God does something or before he says something. Because when Jesus said verily, verily, or truly, truly, it's essentially the word amen. So he would say amen before he said it. God not only gave the amen to the church in this hour to have the last word in every matter that matters, but he also gave it to us as a prophetic decree to say amen and agree with what God has not yet done. So we speak in agreement to what he's going to do, but we've not yet seen the evidence of it. So use the amen for both. Amen? Everybody said amen. God bless you. Thank you. We need to take another offering and bring an altar call after that. That's good. Every matter that matters. Got your Bibles? Can you turn with me quickly to the book of Proverbs chapter 25? <clears throat> Verse 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter, every matter that matters. The word matter is word. It's the glory of God to conceal a word. And it's the glory of kings to search out a word. God, God is the is the divine originator of the game of hide and seek. I've heard preachers almost all my Christian life say, God doesn't play games. Yes, he does. And he is a master player. And you're not going to outsmart him. He's going to win every time. I guarantee you that. But he likes the game. Yeah. I figured every man in this room would say amen to that. He likes it. And he likes concealing things, but we have to understand that he does not, he does not hide things from us. He hides things for us. He conceals it to preserve. He puts the, he puts the, he puts the most precious hidden treasures in a place for his children to find. They're not accessible by anyone else. They're only accessible to his children, to you, to me. And so when God, God sets this in, in motion, when he conceals a matter, when he conceals a word, he sets it there for the purpose that we engage in the heavenly game of hide and seek and seeking out that which he hides. Because it is precious, it is precious, it is precious. The reason that gold is so valuable is it's not easily found, right? And the reason that the word of the Lord is so valuable is it's not easily found. You're going to have to search, you're going to have to wait, you're going to have to 
speak the language of tears. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to give your heart. You're going to have to give your mind. You're going to have to give your body. You're going to have to give everything. That's the cost in the kingdom is everything. It's always everything. It's never short of everything. It's always everything. And, and when we begin to understand these things and we begin to understand what matters to God, and when what matters to God matters to us, then you've got a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful impetus that's released and that's moving forward. God himself loves hiding. He loves it. He loves mystery. He loves standing right in front of your face and you not even know he's there. Hmm? I guarantee you he's this way. I guarantee you. And some people think he's not around, but he's, he's there. He's there. He sees. He hears. He knows. To some people, that would be intimidating and even fearful. To other people, it's very comforting. He sees. He hears. He knows. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word. Remember? He conceals a Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God brought this, 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 this hidden hidden heavenly reality into a material world, and yet he was still hidden. There were very few that were privileged to, to have the sensitivity to actually come to Bethlehem. Yes? 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 This is class participation. Very few. In fact, if you look at it, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing, quite frankly. The, the only ones that really, really had a clue were these guys that at best were, were astronomers and at worst were astrologers. And they got invited. They, they, they picked up on it. They saw something. And they had the courage to engage in what they saw and they moved on what they saw. And it took them a long, long, long time. They left, they left their homes long before Jesus was born just to get there. They saw, they saw a star. They saw a light. They saw something that nobody else saw. Somehow, some way, God, God, God got into their hearts and got into their lives in such a way that they, they wanted to engage and they wanted to seek. And then you have shepherds that nobody wanted to sit next to in the synagogue because they smelled like sheep. Are there any sheep herders in the house? I prefer cattle myself. There was a lady in North Platte, Nebraska that preferred sheep, and she rebuked me at the end of the service. But quite frankly, sheep stink. They don't smell nice. Hmm? And these are the guys that were invited in to look at the Lamb of God. Because they valued. They valued what everybody else passed over and what everybody else took for granted. And God called them and God drew them. He's given us clear instructions. Jeremiah, you know this, this scripture very well, I'm sure. Verse chapter 29, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And, 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 and in this time of of Personal pronouns. Listen to these. Then you will call upon me. And you will go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me. And you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. Those are the pronouns that matter. And he says, 
When you do this, he says this. He gives this promise. I will be found of you. I'm going to jump out and say, here I am. Right? Here I am. So many times you know the Lord has us in his hand in life. Puts us in his hand. And, and here we're going and we're having this sweet communion with him. And, and, and we're just looking upon the Lord and loving him. And, and then all of a sudden, some difficult time, some difficult season comes. And, and he's still got us in his hand. But, but because of his great grace and his great love, he'll take his other hand and he'll put right over the top of us. And we go crazy. Where are you, Lord? What are you doing? I can't find you. Oh, Jesus, please speak to me. Don't leave me. Oh, please, 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 please. It's okay. Oh, there you are. There you are. Oh, Jesus, you, I don't know what happened. Did I do something wrong? Where have you been all this time? I'm right here. I'm right here. I love you so much. I love you so much. Oh, a little bit of trouble. Jesus, Jesus. What a wonderful sense of humor God has. It's going to be comedy hour when they review my life in heaven. Of all the times that I've freaked, I mean just freaked out, Lord, where are you? I couldn't feel him, couldn't see him, couldn't sense him. And he hid me in his hands. He was there all the time. And he was closer than I even dreamed. He covered me below, above, around, north, south, east, west, Top, bottom, everything. He's got us. He's got us. He says, I'll be found by you. It's when he opens up that other hand. Here I am. It's going to be okay. He says, I'll be found of you. Turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon. This living word draws near to our heart and we search for him. And we, and we discover this, um, this amazing, amazing mystery that we only really begin to seek him when we begin to sense that he's been seeking us. He's the one that initiates it. He was there all the time. He was never not there. Papa Jack would say, I don't know how many times I heard him say this, I, 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 when I started studying the kingdom, I discovered that the kingdom was already studying me. God is the one that searches. God is the one who seeks. God is the one who puts the desire inside of our hearts, the longing inside of our hearts. He initiates that. You can't take credit for that. He's the one that initiates it all. He's the one that puts the desire to pray. He's the one that puts the desire to fast. He's the one that puts the desire to get off of your bed and, and take your head off of your pillow on Sunday morning and get out in the cold and come here. When your pillow is shouting to you the whole, no, no, don't leave me. Stay here with me. We will have such good communion together. I'll whisper in your ear. Hmm? I'll lull you back to sleep. And it would be so easy, yes, to turn over and just close your eyes and go back to sleep on a Sunday morning, especially a cold one. And yet, here you are. How'd that happen? Yes, of course, you cooperated. I understand that. Because God's done a good measure of of work inside of your heart and inside of your life that you have an understanding on the inside. No, I need to be there. I want to be there. There's something going on there that's better than what's going on here. Right? And the kids get drug along in the process. And little bit by little bit, painfully, they learn, wait a minute, there is, that's, mom and dad are right. We need to get up. We need to get going. We never gave our children an option, you know. We just, we just got them up. Many, many was the time that they were asleep, and we dressed them in their sleep. And they'd wake up in church. I'd make sure of that because I was the pastor. The 
truth is, is if we have any desire to seek the Lord. It's only because he's already been seeking us. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Notice the pronouns again. Your name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, because of this, the virgins love you. Draw me away. Listen to the prayer of her heart. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And so she's consumed with only him. She's not consumed with answers. She's consumed with the answer. Singular. He is the answer to everything that we have. He is the answer to every question that we have. He is the answer to the, to the conundrums of our life. These, these problems that just seem like they've got 14 and 11 different sides to them and we can't figure anything out. He's the one. He's the one that when we search for him with all of our heart, when we seek him and him alone, he states, I'll be found. I'm going to jump out from my hiding place. I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And God has done it with me in the most unusual places. And he is so gracious and he is so kind. And it goes on in verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. He, he will dance upon the most difficult challenges of our life. I don't know if you've ever climbed any mountains, but let me tell you something. It sounds really romantic in its concept. But the moment that you start having to climb something, let me tell you, honey, it ain't easy. Mountains often speak of, yes, great accomplishments, but they often speak also of great challenges. And I mean great challenges. I remember hearing the testimony of a man that ran from coast to coast in the United States. And he ran every single day, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. Coming from the East Coast to the West Coast, and after many, 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 many days of running, he sees off in the distance the Rocky Mountains. And his heart just sank. Dear God, help me get over these, help me get there, and then help me climb them. Right? Yeah, it's one thing to, to, to romanticize mountaintop experiences. But you have to measure that by all of the journey to get there. And God comes leaping upon the mountains and skipping on the hills. They're nothing to him. And then he, she says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, notice this, this is, this is where I'm going. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. And my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. God is looking at Iowa. He's just behind your wall. He's just at your window, the place where you receive light. The place where you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation functions in this place called a window. It's where Daniel went to pray every day. He went to his window and he opened the window up. He wanted as much light as he possibly could, could, could garner. And he, and he opened up his heart and he opened up his life. And he, and he, at the risk of his own life, he opened his heart and he sought the Lord. And he cried out unto God. 
Because, because something was going on with his heart and something was going on with his life that God was present in his window and God was there and God was drawing him and God was looking at him and the Lord set his eyes upon him and the Lord would not take his eyes off of him. There's something about the eyes of the Lord. You go through the scriptures and the eyes of the Lord scatter his enemies. Just his eyes, just the look of the Lord. He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to lift a little finger. He doesn't have to do anything at all. He just looks. Had fathers and mothers in my life, and I and 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 they had what I would call the look. Somehow, some way, the Spirit of the Lord transposed the look into my wife and she can give me the look and I recognize it and sometimes in my stupidity I just move along but there's the look it's there it's there and I'd better recognize it right right the Lord was looking at the bride. And here she is in her house. And the interesting thing is that he's looking through the lattice work. And lattice work is placed upon windows for privacy. And lattice work is usually made up in our lives with our excuses. It's usually made up in our lives with our fears. It's the things that we, it's the things that we put up and that we hide behind to ensure privacy. We all have it. You might, not, you might not admit it, but we all have it, right? Lattice work is oftentimes seen as, our, as, as the image that we want to project so that people will receive us and accept us. Lattice work is there, it's put there for privacy. It's, it's put there for the reason that I wanna let some light in, but I don't want anybody else in. It's a place where I can hide. And here he is standing at the window and looking through the lattice work. And I don't know how many times it's happened in my heart and in my life that I went to seek the Lord only to discover that there was a pair of eyes looking right back at me before I even got there. He was there waiting for me. Amen. There came a shift in the service this morning. The Lord took this message, and there's more to it, and dear Lord, I can go for, what is it? Oh, it's only 85 pages. I have a tendency to over-prepare. And, and, and as we were singing this morning, there was a shift that came in the atmosphere, and, and I heard it first, and then I saw it, and then, and then I heard clearly again. God is looking through the lattice work at the state of Iowa. His eyes are fixed upon you. Now she went about her job, she went about her duties, she went about all the things that women can do. And I, and I, I my wife will tell you, you get royalties off this. She didn't like this. But she, if she's honest, she'll tell you if she feels comfortable with you, she'll, she, she, will, she will divulge, she will divulge this, she would put a name into this, and that is that sometimes, sometimes I just watch her. I watch how she moves because I like it. I watch, I watch how she puts her makeup on. I like it. I watch how she attends to her hair. I watch how she looks at herself in the mirror. I watch, I watch her. And there's not a woman on God's green earth that cannot feel the eyes of a man. And pretty soon she feels a little fidgety and uncomfortable. And she looks around and there I am. What are you doing? I'm watching you. Why are you watching me? Because I love you. I like what you look like. 
I like the way you move. I like the way that you look at yourself. I like it. Jesus was looking through the lattice work. And he's looking through the lattice work of your individual life. He's looking through the lattice work of your marriage. He's looking through the lattice work of your family. He's looking through the lattice work of the congregation. And he's looking through the lattice work of the state of Iowa. Why? Because he loves you, that's why. Because he has plans for you, that's why. Because he wants his eyes set upon you until you begin to fidget and you begin to think, I don't know, something's, I feel something shining on me. I, I, there, there, there's something happening. There's some movement somewhere. I don't know how to, and I can't discern it and I can't see it. And I, something, I feel like somebody's looking at me. We've all been in a crowd of people and suddenly we felt someone looking at us and we turned our head and they were. The human soul is quite amazing, actually. It's much bigger than our bodies. I saw an interview one time of a, of a professor, and, and, they were, and they were asking this question, where is the human mind? What a brilliant question. I mean, this, they, they, that's, that's, a lot of people would say, well, dumb, it's in your head. No, it's not. That's just a central processing unit. That's just the computer. That's just the physical, the physical place where things are processed. And the professor, it was a woman professor, and she sat there and they said, where is the human mind in the human body? And, 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 and the professor, you could just, they, they, thank God they didn't edit this. They just kept the camera right on her and she, you could see the wheels turning in her mind. She, she was, her eyes, it was coming through. There was this movement in her and, and she was, th there was this thought process and finally she said after maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds of silence, that's a long time in video and radio. And finally she said, well, well, we know that it's at least inside the human body. And I thought, oh my God. They're beginning to actually find out the secrets of the Lord. Out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so God is looking and he's searching and he's watching and he's got his eyes fixed upon us on every one of our hearts, on every one of our lives, so that we can come to the place where we begin moving and, and we're getting in touch with a part of our being that we don't normally operate in and we can feel his eyes and we start looking around. Where is that coming from? Hmm? And then suddenly you go to your window of prayer or you go to your window of worship or you go to your window of the word or you go to the window wherever you're getting your light from. And you start looking out for more light and lo and behold, there's a pair of eyes looking right at you. And as soon as you recognize those eyes and soon as you lock eyes with him, the light that is in your soul comes through your eyes and the light that is in his soul comes through his eyes. And when they meet together, an atomic explosion goes off inside of us. And that's when the word of the Lord comes forth. And he says, come away with me. Let everything else just fall to the ground. Stop worrying about your makeup. Come on and just come with me now, now. There have been several times in our marriage. Here's another royalty for my wife. There have been several times in our marriage that I watched this woman get, I mean, she was dolled up, dialed in. Her face is beginning to glow red now. And, and she was gorgeous. I mean, she was knockout gorgeous. And we're going out of the house. To which I would say to her, we ain't going anywhere. 
This is just too good. We're not going to go anywhere. We're going to stay home tonight. No, no, she says, we have to go out. I said, no, we don't. We don't really have to be there. I don't want to share you with anybody. Yeah? Yes? Who are we living for? Who are we dressing for? Who are we preparing for? Who's the number one? I ministered in Japan for many, many years and, and the Japanese divulged secrets. They've got a gazillion secrets, dear Lord. They've got seven levels. They've got seven levels of their language and most Japanese don't even know all the levels of the language of Japanese. They are excellent hiders. They, they, they conceal things better than anybody, I think. At least they try to. And one day we were talking, I was talking with some pastors and they said to me, you know, you know, the, the word love is not in our language. When someone actually loves someone else, they look at that one and they say, you're my number one. Your first priority, your top priority for me. Nobody else comes in the game. Just you. You're number one and there's only one. It's not one of two. It's one of one. And I thought, oh Lord. Increase their language. But the question remains, who is your number one? I mean, really. He knows, you know. He knows. He knows. And he comes and he positions himself at our window and he looks at us through the lattice work and he's looking on us not with condemnation. He's looking on us not with the idea of shaming us. He's looking on us not with the understanding that he's going to condemn us. He's looking on us because he loves us because it's the pleasure of his heart and it's the pleasure of his life and he doesn't want to be anywhere else. He just wants to look through the lattice work of our window and, and it doesn't really matter to him if the lattice work is there because he's looking beyond it. He's looking through it. It doesn't hold him out. And he looks at our hearts and he looks at our lives and, and we're there and then suddenly we become aware of the eyes of the Lord that is set upon us. And then he speaks. He waits. He's patient. He's not in a hurry. You might even say that he's got the whole time in his hand. So he's got time and he knows it. But something happens when we begin to realize he is looking at me. And he's waiting for that moment to call us away. And he's waiting for that moment. And his heart is pounding in his chest. And, his, and, and I'm using human terms, forgive me. But his heart is pounding inside of his being. And his longing inside of his heart. And, and patience is operating and functioning. And joy, he's looking with joy at the very first moment that we stop what we're doing and we turn to him. Because when we stop what we're doing and we turn to him, that's when he reveals himself to us. That's when he says to us, okay, let's get out of here. Come on, just you and me. Let's go. I know a place. Come with me. Let's go. And while we were singing earlier this morning, I just felt of the Spirit of the Lord that his eyes, I felt his eyes looking upon Heartland Church, and I felt his eyes looking upon Ankeny, Iowa, and I felt his eyes looking upon the central portion of this state, and I felt his eyes looking upon the whole state, and I found, I found words in my heart that God gave all the way back to 1998 for the heartlands of the United States of America, and I felt that they lifted up from where I thought they would be, and they were looking for a place to land. And then the Holy Spirit so graciously reminded me of the story of Noah. And Noah at the end of the flood 
He opened up the window. And he let out the dove. And the dove flew, and the dove was searching for a place to land and could not find one. And then the dove returned, and he held out his hand, and he took her in, inside. And then it says seven days later, he let her out again. And she went, and she looked, and she searched, but there was no place to land, no place to light. There was only a, there was only a, a small little olive branch. And she picks that, and, and she brings that olive branch of hope back to Noah. Something's changing out here. I just wanted you to know. And then seven days later, he opens up the window. So approximately 21 days of this, he opens up the window. And finally, she goes and she does not come back because she found a place to rest. I want to say to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is released. The Holy Spirit has lifted up and lifted off. And the Holy Spirit is looking upon the heartlands for a place to land. Are you willing to let his eyes fall on you? Are you willing to let him look at you until you become uneasy? Are you willing, or are you willing to let him divinely disturb you? To the degree that you, that you lay everything else down and you just come back to him and you say, Lord, where, where are you? I can feel your eyes, but I cannot see you. And you look and you look and you look because a lattice work, trellis work, often has a, a vine growing on it. And it's sometimes difficult to see his eyes looking at you. And then you make the connection. Bang. Bang. I was in Mullen, Nebraska. Mullen, Nebraska is a crossroads. In fact, in that day and time, I don't even realize, I don't even think that there was a stop sign there, much less a traffic light. Forget that. It's just a crossroads. Small, little community. Tiny. But in Mullen, Nebraska, they've got a couple of bucket list golf courses. And I got an invitation, I got a bucket list invitation to go play at a golf course called Dismal River in Mullen, Nebraska. It's just, it's outside, it's quite a ways actually outside of Mullen. That's just the closest little community that they could attach it to. And it was this bucket list course where you go there, and, and, and I, was, I, was, I was treated to this. I, it was a gift to me, and otherwise I would have never had the money to go to a place like this. I mean, you go there, and it's, and it's rustic five-star facilities. They, 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 have, they have a restaurant, but they have no menu. You just tell the chef what you want, and he will cook it. That kind of place. I didn't even know those things existed, but they do. And it was an all-inclusive thing, so I ordered ribeye every night. Because I like the fat content, and I want to see Jesus sooner. And besides that, it tastes good. It's the best cut, in my opinion. And we went to the pro shop when we arrived. And the director of golf, the guy that's above the head pro, the director of golf met us. And he looked at us. And he says, I don't know what you guys have done right. But you are the only four men on this golf course for three days. No one else is coming. You've got the place to yourself. And oh, did we play golf. Ah, it was great. Beautiful in the sand hills of Nebraska. Just beautiful there. This desolate place, and yet it's got a beauty that's, that's almost nondescriptive. You have to go there and see for yourself. And we played golf for three days, and in the afternoon of the second day, I, I got tired. 
really tired, abnormally tired after lunch. And I looked at the guys and I said, I know this sounds crazy, guys, but I'm going to go back. I'm just going to go back to my room. I'm going to go back to my room. I'm going to rest a little bit. So I go back to my room and what do I do? I turn on the golf channel. In case you didn't know, I, I like playing golf. There are days that I'm pretty decent at it. I shot my age about a year ago. And I'm old. And I'm there and I'm watching the golf channel and there comes on the golf channel a, a, a documentary on a, on a professional golfer, Hall of Fame golfer's life. His name's Ben Crenshaw. He's from Texas. And Ben Crenshaw had this father mentor in his life by the name of Harvey Penick, who was renowned for his teaching ability. And, and the great ones would go to Harvey Penick if something was wrong with their game, and he could straighten them out really quick. It didn't take him long. He could see. He just had that kind of vision, that kind of eye for the golf swing. And Ben Crenshaw had been having a really, really difficult time in his game, and, and so... He had won the, the Masters. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful tournament down in Augusta, uh, Georgia. I've, I've been there. It's, it's just incredibly beautiful there. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost the holy grail of all golfers would be to play there or, and professionals to play in that tournament. That's, that's the tournament, right? And, and Ben had really, he'd, he'd won the, the tournament uh, once before and so but he was having a really really difficult time with his game and he just couldn't get anything right I mean he just couldn't get anything right nothing was going right and and on one of his one of his afternoons his his caddy helped him with a small little tiny adjustment in his swing and he just started hitting it dead solid perfect it just came that quack that's bang immediate and he was out on a practice round and he was given a message. Someone came out from the clubhouse and said, Harvey died. And, and, and Ben's whole countenance, his whole being just, just changed. It was like his father, his mentor, the one that raised him in, in his profession, the one that had sowed everything into him and had made him what he was, had died suddenly. And Ben, I, I have to go. I have to go back to Austin. He, was, he, was, he lived in Austin, Texas. Ben got on a flight, flew back to Austin for the funeral. And, and professional golfers from all over the world went to Harvey Penick's funeral. They just stopped what they were doing and they went to his funeral to honor the man that they loved because he was a father. And after the funeral, they went from the, from the sanctuary into uh, the reception hall uh, and, and all, of these, all of these professional golfers were going from one building to the next building, and there was a, there was a, uh, there was a golf, uh, there was a sports caster that was interviewing as many people as he could grab, and they got, they got Ben. Somehow they, they, somehow they got Ben just to stop for just a moment. And the, and, the, and the broadcaster said, Ben, what did Harvey Penick mean to you? And his eyes were red and tears were flooding down his face unashamedly. And he looked into the camera and he said, Harvey Penick was a great Christian man. And when I, I, when I heard that on this, this broadcast there in my room at Dismal River Golf Club, something happened in my heart and I broke on the inside of my heart and I said to the Lord, that's enough for me. That's enough of a testimony for me. I'll take that one. And I don't know how to describe this to you, but my door of my cabin opened. And Jesus walked into the room. And I rolled off of my bed and I fell on the floor. And he just looked into my heart. And there was a dimension of glory that he has never, ever taken me and ushered me into. And it happened at a golf course watching a golf documentary. 
He stands at the window of our life looking for us, waiting for us to just stop what we're doing and open up our eyes and say, I love you, Lord. Where are you? You're the one that I'm looking for. I don't need any more answers. I just need you. Just, just you, just you. And my focus of my prayer life gets extremely laser-like and narrow and all the other things that I pray about and all the other things that I long for and all the other things that he has promised me and all the other things, they just seem to just lose meaning the moment that I find him. The moment that I find him. When is the last time that you've gone to your window? Could I just suggest to you maybe it's been a little too long? Maybe we need to set aside this, this time of tremendous turmoil all around us. Economic upheavals, political upheavals. This prophetic word, that prophetic word, another prophetic word, and dear God in heaven, prophets that aren't even prophets are prophesying. Just set it down. I'm just speaking to you as a father this morning. Just set it down. You don't need that. What you need is just open your window up and look out your window because he's waiting there for you. When he's waiting there for you and you see him, I guarantee you what's going to happen, he's going to say, come on. Come with me. Come with me. And then every single question that you've got in your soul will be answered in a twinkling of an eye. Suddenly you won't have any more questions. Suddenly you just want to be quiet and you just want to hear what he's got to say. And you don't want to cloud the time with him with your own thoughts. Bob Jones, years ago, you may know the story. He was told by an angel, you need to get ready for it. And the angel named a month. I'm going to use January. I don't remember what it was. I'd have to look back. And the angel said, look, you need to get ready um, because in January, Jesus is going to come and he's going to, he's going to bring a visitation. But he himself, he's, he's coming to you. He's going to meet with you. So have your questions ready, the angel said. So Bob labored over it. And he labored and he labored and he labored. What questions? What, 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 can I, what do I need to ask him? What do I need to have ready? And it's just, man, I mean, and January we came and January went and Jesus didn't show up. So we thought, well, you know, he didn't tell me what year. That's faith, right? He didn't tell me what year. Maybe it's next January. And so he prepared himself all year long for that January. Jesus didn't come. And it went for several years like this, but Bob never gave up hope and he never dropped it and he never disbelieved it. He believed it from his heart. And so he was preparing for every single January, just come, 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 like a clock. Jesus wouldn't show, well, then it's next year. Then it's next year, then it's next year, then it's next year. Quite a few years. And then one day, the angel popped into his room. Oh, by the way, it's this coming January. Get your questions ready. By now, Bob had all kinds of questions. So he starts going through his questions. Comes closer to January, closer to... He starts taking questions out, taking questions out, taking questions out, taking questions. No, no, not this. No, no, not that. No, 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 not this. And he came down to this short list of questions. It was almost time for January to roll around. And he felt so empty with the questions that he had left. And sure enough, January came and Jesus walked into the room. He believed that it was physical. And Jesus was there. Here he is, Jesus. 
And Jesus, with his wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sense of humor, says, Bob, do you have your questions ready? And Bob answered him. And he said, I don't want to waste our time together with my questions. Would you just talk to me about whatever you want to talk to me about? I will listen. I think that's important. God is calling Heartland Church. The Holy Spirit has risen over the heartlands of the United States. And he's looking for a place to light. He's looking for a place to land. You have promises in this house. You have prophetic words in this house. But I'm going to reaffirm them even this morning. And I don't even know them. But I can tell you this. Holy Spirit has lifted up. And the Holy Spirit is flying. And the Holy Spirit is looking for a place to land. So that when he lands. Or when she lands. Or when he, she lands. Because they're both there. In the language itself. Numa. Feminine. That'll get your theological panties twisted, won't it? <laughs> She's looking for a place to land. And when she lands, she has purposes that we never dreamed. Because God wants to speak to the heart of this country. That I can tell you. I've known it since 1998. I've been prophesying since 1998. I've been coming into these heartlands since 1998. October of 1998. With a vision, with a heart, with an, a seeing of everything that God showed me that he was going to do in the heartlands of the United States of America. And I have not yet seen it fulfilled. And so I sense Holy Spirit brooding, brooding over the heartlands of the United States. And he's looking, Holy Spirit's looking for a place to land. It's like he's got his eyes, she's got her eyes set on us. I feel the eyes of the Lord this morning. I feel his gaze Something has grown to attention inside of my heart and my life. Even the short time that I've been with you. There was so much resistance for Faye and I the past two weeks before we came here. The resistance level was, honestly, it was painful. Mental torments, emotional torments, all kinds of temptations to, 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 to not come. All kinds of opportunities. This, no, to do that. No, 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 no. But my heart was set. And I've walked with him long enough to know this. That when I come to the end of myself and when I come to the end of my strength. That in my weakness his strength then takes over. And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And I've discovered through the years. Just stay the course Bill. Just stay the course. Even if you don't have the strength to take but one more step. Just stay the course and go. And he'll give you the strength and you can do it. There have been so many times in my life, in Faye's life, that I was sicker than a dog on Sunday morning. I mean throwing up sicker than a dog. It's a Texas saying, I think. Cats could probably get sick too. But the saying, sicker than a dog. And I would say to my wife, just get me to the pulpit. I'll be all right if I get there. Just, just help me get behind the pulpit and when I get there it's going to be okay and I cannot tell you how many times that that happened in our life 44 years of marriage coming up on 45 really quick in the fast lane stay the course Heartland Church stay the course congregation don't be surprised in the passing of 21 days that Holy Spirit doesn't breeze over you looking for a place to land. So that was through 21 days of 
dealing right there with Noah. I've got a feeling. I've just got this feeling. I've just, I, I, I've just got this feeling. We need to lift our eyes up to behold the king and the lover of our soul and look out the window. So in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, this is a 21-day window for you. Come. Come and do whatever you need to do while you're in it. Because I know that there's a lot of things that you need to take care of. There's a lot of things that you need to do. There's a lot of things you need to address. But somewhere in this 21 days, don't be surprised if you come to the window in this house and another pair of eyes is looking back at you. And when he looks at you, open your eyes and gaze upon him. Gaze upon him. When the, when the shepherds said this, after the angels left, the shepherds looked at one another and said, let's go to Bethlehem. This is a paraphrase. Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing. And the word thing is rhema. Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this rhema. This matter, this word. And the word see is the key word. It's horao. And horao means to see with the eyes, go deeper. See with the mind, go deeper. To perceive, go deeper. To see and experience intimately what you're looking at. And so those shepherds went to look upon the Lamb of God and they didn't give him a casual glance. They looked until there was an experience heart to heart. And then it says they went out and they told the whole city. And everyone was blessed. And everyone was amazed. And Mary and Joseph were amazed. And Mary pondered these things in her heart. God's going to do something for you in 21 days. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready, get ready. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the simplicity of this word. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to take a weak vessel and bring forth transformation word. I ask you, Lord, look into through the lattice work of Heartland Church. I ask you now, Lord, look in through the window. Look through the latticework. Look through the failures of the past. Look through the insecurities. Look through all of, the, all of the things that we all put up to protect ourselves. Look through them. Just get close enough to the window and look through them to where the, the latticework doesn't even, it doesn't even come into play. And keep looking at us until we are divinely disturbed. Until we stop what we're doing and we turn looking where we don't even know. And so we look outside the window only to find you there. Speak to our hearts. Give us the secrets of your heart for this season. Cause us to come into a place where we are riveted by your spirit and we seek only you you and when we are when we when when you are found of us and we are found of you you will take care of all of the minutia of details of problems of issues of Everything that even seems impossible to us to deal with that we don't have answers for, you are the answer. And so we invite you into our problems, our ministries, our praises, our worship, our prayers, our fastings, our everything. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, lover of our souls. And gaze upon our hearts 
until we feel your eyes and we start searching for just you. Just you. Just you. I thank you for this, Father. Go ahead and stand. I want to pray over us this morning. I believe this is an invitation from the Lord into this 21 days. I remember years ago reading an article about two Russian uh, artists. They were sculpturers. They had been commissioned by their government to carve some carving. And this husband and wife team got to discussing how they couldn't do what they did without a thumb. And in their discussion, they came to the conclusion there must be a God. They began to cry out for the God, the creator of the thumb to reveal himself to them. They came to the conclusion of the goodness of God because of his, their thumbs. <laughs> and uh, I've often thought the goodness of God is revealed in food. You know what? I, I could worship God just for the jalapeno. <laughs> that God gave you taste buds in just the right place to experience an array of different flavors. Isn't that good of him? You know, he could have made everything taste like spinach or like wood. He could have done that, but he didn't do that because he loves us. And fasting, among other things, is us saying, God, we thank you for food. We thank you for the gift and all the different flavors. But what we're really hungry for is you. Lord, we set aside the satisfaction of our physical appetites for this short season. And Lord, we ask, let us feast on you. Let us feast on the goodness of who you are. And so Lord, we ask even now, Lord, for grace to fall upon us. And Lord, I ask that you'd awaken our spiritual appetites. As Bill stood up here and read the menu of heaven, Lord, let our spiritual appetites begin to be awakened. Let us salivate in the spirit. And Lord, we look over the, the banqueting table of the next 21 days. And Lord, we ask for one thing, that you'd release more of you to us, Lord. Release more of you to us, Lord. God, we are hungry for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Hallelujah. On our last trip to Columbia, we went to this one barbecue spot, and they brought out these big bibs. And they made us put bibs on before they brought the food. And I just saw that picture when I was praying over us. Get your bib on. There's some feasting going to happen. I'm, I'm serious. Get your expectations up. Get your spirit, spiritual utensils. Get your fork and your knife in hand. Get your big old plastic bib and belly up to the table. It's going to be a time of feasting on him. Amen. Bill, Faye, Don, thank you so much. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules. Yeah. We love you guys. It, uh... These have been the hors d'oeuvres, and uh, the feasting begins. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.